take your copy of God's Word and be turning to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. I want you to listen to this that I ran across this past week. To our forefathers, our faith was an experience. To our fathers, our faith was an inheritance. To us, our faith is a convenience. And to our children, our faith is a nuisance. We'll say that again. To our forefathers, our faith was an experience. To our fathers, our faith was an inheritance. To us, our faith is a convenience. And to our children, our faith is a nuisance. Will that be true of us? Will that be true of our children and our grandchildren? Does this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ really matter? I submit to you that it does. I submit to you that it matters not only for now, but it matters for all eternity. J. Oswald Sanders tells about two families that uh, illustrate just how important our faith is. It seems that uh, two families from the state of New York were studied very carefully. One was the Max Jukes family and the other was the Jonathan Edwards family. And the thing they discovered about these two families after studying them, them very carefully was this. Like begets like. Like begets like. Max Jukes was an unbelieving man. And he married a woman of like character who lacked principle. Among their descendants, they studied 1,200 of them. 310 of those descendants became professional vagrants. 440 physically wrecked their lives by a debauched lifestyle. 130 of them were sent to jail for an average of 13 years each, seven of those for murder. There were over 100 who became alcoholics. 60 of them became habitual thieves. And there were 190 public prostitutes. Of the 20 descendants that they studied the Max Jukes family, of the 20 who learned a trade... Ten of those learned that trade in a state prison. It cost the state $1,500,000 to support and sustain the Max Jukes family. And they made no contribution whatsoever to society. Like begets like. Now, in about the same era, the family of Jonathan Edwards was studied. You may have heard that name from church history. And Jonathan Edwards came on the scene and Jonathan Edwards was a man of God and he married a woman of like character and their family began and they became part of this study. And here's what happened to their descendants, those that they studied. Three hundred of them became clergymen, missionaries and theological professors. Uh, Furthermore, over a hundred became college professors. Over a hundred became attorneys. Thirty of them judges. Sixty of them became physicians. Sixty of their descendants became physicians. Sixty of their descendants became authors of good books. And fourteen became presidents of universities. There were numerous giants in American industry that emerged from the Edwards' family. Three became United States congressmen. And one became vice president of the United States. And we find again that like begets like. Now, which example would you like to follow? Would you like to follow the example of the Max Jukes family or the Jonathan Edwards family? I think anybody in the right mind say, hey, I want to follow in the line of Jonathan Edwards. A line of godliness, a line of contribution even to our society. And furthermore, 
Don't forget this. Most of, if not all of the Jukes family, it appears from what I've read, just from what we read this morning that we're studying, are still burning in hell this morning. Because it appears they did not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they're still burning in hell this morning. But we have every reason to, be, to believe that many of those in the Jonathan Edwards family, they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and they're still rejoicing in heaven this very moment, having come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say again this morning, beloved, your family matters. Your family matters. Now, listen, you cannot save your family. I cannot save my family. Each person must trust Jesus Christ for themselves. But while we cannot save our families, we can certainly make it easier for our families to be saved. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? What I mean by, by that is this. We should live a consistent Christian life in front of them. We should pray for them. We should share the gospel with them. We should love them with all of our hearts to see them come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning... In our few minutes together, I want, to, I want to challenge you to focus on your family. We're taking the first couple of months of this year, January and February, and we're taking time to get focused on some key areas in our life. So far, we've talked about focusing, getting focused on our faith. Three main things to do every day. Do you remember them? Every day, you're to listen to God, you're to talk to God, and you're to live for God. Then we talked about focusing on our finances last week. We talked about biblical principles of how we're to give some money, we're to save some money, and we're to spend some money. We talked all about that. And this morning we come to another key area, and that is to focus on our family. To focus on our family. So let's get started. Take your copy of God's Word, if you haven't already, and turn to Genesis chapter 13, the very first book of the Bible. And we're calling this message, of course, focus on your family. But if I were not calling it that, if I were to title it something different, you know what I would title it? I would title it this, how to destroy your family. You say, well, that seems kind of odd, preacher, even contradictory. I mean, you're, you're seeking to help us focus on our family. You're talking to us about destroying our family. Well, yeah, my purpose is not to help you destroy your family. You see, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a man today who destroyed his family. And what I want us to do is learn from his mistakes. I want us to learn how not to destroy our families. In other words, I want to look at a very negative story. And hopefully some very positive things will come out of it for our families. Does that make sense? If not, hopefully it will by the time we're done. How to, how to destroy your family. You ready? If you're writing notes, write this down. Let selfishness be your guide. Let selfishness be your guide. Genesis chapter 13, begin reading at verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was a very rich man, uh, very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to a place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, 
Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you take to the right, then I'll go to the left. Verse 10 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom are exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, here we have the account, beloved, of Abraham and his nephew Lot. And what happened really is they'd gotten too rich to dwell together. They had so many herds and livestock that the land could not support them. And tensions began to rise between their herdsmen, those who worked their flocks. And we find there in verse number seven, it says, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And verse eight says, Sir Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. There was tension rising there. Let me ask you something. Does your family have any tension in it? Does it ever have any tension in it? If it does, you're not alone. It goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible. In fact, we could go back even further to the very first family and find that tension. You see, sin is the cause, but Christ is the cure. Now, Abraham didn't want this to continue, so he graciously says to Lot, listen, we need to part ways. We need to separate, and I give you choice. I give you the choice. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, Abraham could have used his authority. He could have used his age. He could have said, listen, you're going here. I'm going here. But he didn't do that. He could have made the choice himself, but he didn't do that. Instead, he said, listen, Lot, I give you first choice. Very gracious of Abraham. Now, Lot, if he were wise, would have responded a lot differently. Maybe he could have said something like this. Well, listen, Uncle Abraham, you choose. I, I, I trust your judgment. You're a man that walks with God and talks with God. And, and you're older and you're wiser. Please give me direction here to know which way I should go. But he didn't do that. Or better yet, he should have said this, perhaps. Listen, Uncle Abraham, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to leave your influence in our family. Let's just sell part of the flock. Let's just sell part of the herd. And we'll stay together and we'll go on together throughout our days. But that's not what Lot did. Sad to say, the Bible tells us what he did. Look at verse 10 again. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord, it says. Like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. You know, it kind of reminded me of the sin back in the garden. Genesis 3, 6 says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate. First John 2, 15 and 16 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. See, Lot looked out there and he saw all this luscious, wonderful land. And he became very selfish at that moment. I want you to notice what the first part of verse 11 says. It says, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Forget Abraham. Forget all the stuff we're dealing with. Forget the tension. 
Forget this. Listen, I'm choosing this well-watered plain. I'm choosing all of this. He became very selfish. We might say it this way, that Lot began to walk by sight rather than by faith. But you see, his steps only went so far. Look at verse 12. It says at the end of verse 12 that he pitched pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. He pitched it towards Sodom. So in other words, he's not in Sodom. He's not in the city. He just kind of pitched his tent toward it. In other words, he can enjoy the benefits of the city, but still not be a resident of the city, not be a part of it. And then verse 13 is very interesting. This is a very interesting detail. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. We have every reason to believe that Lot would have known that, should have heard that, should have knew that, especially as he's pitched his tent that way. But he's not in Sodom yet. No, he's not in Sodom. But as we follow Lot's footsteps through Scripture, we find they go downward. Here in chapter 13, he's pitched it towards Sodom. He's he's not there yet. But I want you to notice what chapter 14 says. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. It says they also took Lot. Abram's brother, son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So what do we have here? Chapter 13, his tent is pitched towards Sodom. Chapter 14, he's a resident of Sodom. Now go to chapter 19 as we continue following his footsteps. We're going to find in chapter 19, verse 1, these words. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now, do you see the progression here? He started out pitching his tent towards Sodom. Then he becomes a resident of Sodom. And in chapter 19, we have him sitting at the gate of Sodom. He said, well, so what? What's what's the big deal about him sitting at the gate? Well, the gate of the city was the place where they did the business and commercial and judicial activities. Uh, In other words, uh, it's, it's the place where the officials of the city sat. Lot may have even been an official in this city by this time. Henry Morris said evidently Lot himself was now some kind of magistrate of this place. We don't know for certain, but it does show that he's a part of this city for sure. He's at the place where they do business deals and commercial deals and judicial activity. And he's there and he's there by choice. He's there by choice. Now, do you really want to destroy your family? Well, number one, let selfishness be your guide. Choose for yourself. Think of yourself. Focus on yourself. Walk by sight, not by faith. Let selfishness be your guide. And number two, you want to destroy your family? Surround yourself with wicked people. Surround yourself with wicked people. Now, we're going to look at chapter 19 today. And let's continue reading there. We know he's at the gate. And verse 1 goes on to say, When Lot saw them, that is these angels that had come, He rose to meet them and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. In other words, he's very gracious to these guests that have come. But what do they say? They say, no, we'll spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entreated or excuse me, entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked and leavened bread and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? 
Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they've come under the shadow of my roof, roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, that is these angels, they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they became weary trying to find the door. Now, I want to say to you, beloved, the wickedness of this city is incredible. Verse four says the men, young and old, came to know these men, these angels who came. They appeared as men like us, came to know them carnally, came to know them in a sexual way. And Lot goes so far as to say, listen, don't don't touch these men. Here are my two virgin daughters. You can take them and do whatever you want to do with them, but don't harm these men. Now, I'll be honest with you. In my opinion, Genesis 19 has to be one of the saddest chapters in the entire Bible. To see just how far Lot went down. Did you see just how backslidden he was? Were it not for the New Testament? A lot of us will read this and say, you know what? Lot is not a saved man. Lot has to be a lost man. man. How do you get to this point where you offer your two virgin daughters to these wicked, perverse, sinful men? But the New Testament says he was a saved man. Jot this reference down. Second Peter two, six through eight. Listen to it. Second Peter two, six through eight. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward live ungodly. Now listen, verse seven of second Peter two and delivered righteous lot, delivered righteous lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them, tormenting his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Let me ask you something. Was Lot happy in Sodom? And when I read second, Peter says what? It says that he's tormented his righteous soul. It bothered him. He was he was afflicted by these things. What Lot was trying to do is hold on to God with this hand and reach out with this hand and enjoy some of the pleasures of the city and the world and, and get some advantages here. It's scary. Back in Genesis 19, verse 7, he says, what about those men in Sodom? He says in verse 7, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. He's back saying he's calling these wicked, perverse, sinful men brethren. Lot was a righteous man. But he chose to surround himself with wicked, perverse people. I mean, ungodly people, vile people, perverse people. Who come banging down the door of his house, seeking to know these two guests in a sexual way. Immorality. It's clear that Lot was not in Sodom as a missionary. It's clear he was not representing the International Mission Board. And he was not there as a commission appointed gospel herald. He was there because of his selfishness. Remember, he chose for himself. He was there in order to get ahead in life. He was there, I believe, because it was easy and convenient. Who wants a tent when you can have a townhouse? 
But he was in the wrong place. He was in the wrong place. You see, there are some places where a Christian does not belong. There are some places where a Christian should not go. It's obvious that Lot knew he was in the wrong place. Second Peter says what? He afflicted his righteous soul. He was bothered. He knew these things weren't right. Several months ago, I think I felt some of what Lot probably felt. Our family was at Walmart. And uh, Gideon had to go to the restroom. And we weren't in our Walmart in Wadesboro. We were at a different Walmart. And in Wadesboro, the men's room is on the right-hand side, if I remember correctly. I found out that day that all the men's rooms and all the restrooms at Walmarts aren't the same at every Walmart. You know, you're out there and he has to go to the restroom, so I take his hand and we walk in. And I knew immediately something was wrong. I began looking around for a certain bathroom fixture and all I saw were sinks and stalls. And I knew I was somewhere I shouldn't be. As quickly as I could, I grabbed his hand and we went to exit. He didn't know what was going on. And I just wasn't quick enough. That time, one of those stall doors opened and a lady walked out. And she wasn't a very nice lady. This is the ladies room, she told me. And I just turned and got there as fast as I could. Now, Danielle was outside the, the restroom there with Gabe in the car. She didn't think anything about it. She's just standing. I come rushing out and she didn't know what's going on. Now, later, that lady came out and Danielle just tried to make a little small talk with her to let her know, you know, you know what happened. All and the lady, all the lady said, she wasn't very nice. I've seen worse. So anyway, <laughs> be careful at Walmart. Listen, there are some places where you don't belong. There's some places you shouldn't be. We live in this world. We're surrounded by sin. We're surrounded by sinners. But we don't have to settle down here. We don't have to settle down in these places. Yes, we have to reach out to the lost. Yes, we have to reach them with the gospel. Yes, you have to deal with them on the job. Yes, you go to school with a lot of people. Yes, all those things are true. But you don't have to surround yourself and your family by choice in this world with wickedness and sin and vile things. I believe with all my heart that a believer, a believer's closest friend should be other believers. And why is that? Why? Because other believers should be helping you on in your Christ-like life. They should be helping you on to holiness. They should be encouraging the things of God. Not lost people seeking to drag you down saying, oh, don't you want to go here? Don't you want to do that? Listen, no, I'm born again. I'm a child of God. Now, we still reach out to the lost. We're still friendly to them. We can befriend them, but our closest, dearest friends, those I bring to the closest parts of my life should be those who love God and know God and serve God. Some of you might be thinking, well, you know what, as a believer, how do I break off those ungodly friendships, those that are real close? Listen, you won't have to. You won't have to. Say, what do you mean, preacher? You get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and they'll either get saved or get gone. You get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. You live a life of godliness and holiness and righteousness and they'll either get convicted and get saved or they'll get gone. Now, Lot surrounded himself and his family with wicked people. And you know what? We have to be careful. We don't do the same thing. You know what else? It's not always people that are physically standing beside us. What kind of TV programs are you bringing into your home? What are you watching at home? 
What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of magazines are you reading? What kind of books are you reading? What kind of Internet sites are you looking at on a daily basis? If we're not careful, beloved, we can have a pipeline of filth being pumped into our homes 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You want to destroy your family? Let selfishness be your God. Surround yourself with wicked people. I mean, just surround yourself with them. Number three. Don't bother to pass on your faith. Don't bother to pass on your faith. Let's pick up the story at verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? This is the angel speaking to him now. Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters-in-law and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Now notice the next part of that verse. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be what? Joking. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the man took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords. Let's just stop there, verse 18, for a moment. I don't really know how many children Lot had. But I know this, he lost them all. We'll read in a few moments that some of them perished in the city. And we'll read later on that those who didn't perish in the city committed sexual immorality with him in a cave later on. I mean, this is one of the saddest chapters I believe you can read. Verse 19 says, indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. You've increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee to. And it's not a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, see, I favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Look at verse 26. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land, which was uh, it went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. He lost his children. He lost his wife. He lost everything. Now, I don't know really how much Lot taught his children about Jehovah. But looking at their lives, I'd have to say not enough. It was Lot who brought them here by choice to the city. 
It was Lot who chose to stay here, even with his own conscience. And God just was letting him know this is not right. His righteous soul was afflicted. Can I talk to the parents and grandparents for a moment? Listen, your children, your grandchildren know whether your faith is real or not. They know if you're playing a game. They they know who you are outside of this church building. Outside of these circles. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is not a living reality in your life, they know it. Let me say something else. If he's not a living reality in your life, why should he be so in their lives? If you can take or leave church, how do you think they're going to look at church? If you can take or leave Bible study and Bible reading and prayer time, how do you think they'll view those things? If you could care less about being a faithful steward of what God's given to you, how do you think they're going to view their resources? What did we say at the beginning? To our forefathers, our faith was an experience. To our fathers, our faith was an inheritance. To us, our faith is a convenience. And if that's the case, to our children, our faith is a nuisance. You see, if that little saying is not going to be true, then our faith has to be more than a convenience. The old evangelist D.L. Moody put it this way. A man ought to live so that everybody knows he's a Christian. And most of all, his family ought to know. They ought to know. You can fool everybody here. You can be the greatest actor, actress around. You can be the most upstanding looking Christian that's ever walked on the face of the earth. But listen, if you're not real, your family knows it. They know it. Don't bother passing on your faith. You want to destroy your family? Let Christ just be a convenience in your life. Not first place. We won't take the time to read the account of what went on in that cave. But let's just say this. His daughters, if you finish reading chapter 19, they decided to get their father drunk and have incestuous relations with him and bring about the birth of two men, two baby boys, And they were at the same time Lot's son and Lot's grandson. We'll just leave it there. You can read it for yourself. Three ways so far to destroy your family. Number one, let selfishness be your guide. Number two, surround yourself with wicked people. Number three, don't bother to pass on your faith. And number four, the final one this morning, resist God's working in your life. Resist God's working in your life. Second Peter already told us that His righteous soul was afflicted. Now go back in chapter 19. Look at these verses. Verses 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Now notice verse 16. While he lingered, the men, the angels, took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out of the sediment outside the city. In other words, they almost had to drag them out of the city. Then he says, listen, escape to the mountains, verse 17. And in verse 18, Lot says to them, please know, my Lord. Even while being delivered by his gracious, loving, merciful God, Lot is resisting God's working in his life. And you know what? The same thing goes on in this church every week. The same thing goes on in these pews every week. God, the Holy Spirit convicts. Lost men and women, boys and girls are the need of the Savior, yet they resist. 
God's children come and God's word is preached to proclaim. And God, the Holy Spirit, puts his finger on an area in a Christian's life. And what do they do? They resist. They resist God's working. Robert Louis Stevenson said so quaintly once, everybody sooner or late sits down to a banquet of consequences. Everyone, everybody sooner or late sits down to a banquet of consequences. Lot did. How do you think Lot felt as he was sitting in that cave with his daughters who are pregnant with his son and his grandsons at the same time? Looking out over the smoldering, smoldering, burning remains of what was once his city and his home. What do you think he felt? Do you think he'd make any changes way back there when when Abraham says, listen, let's separate. Let's go our own way. When he lifted up his eyes and saw that well-watered plain and says, listen, that's where I'm going. When he pitched his tent, then he moved in the city. He became a resident and he's sitting in the gate. His righteous soul is being afflicted day in and day out. God is dealing with him, yet he resists, resists, resists. And he sits down at this banquet of consequences. I believe his choices would have been much different. Could he have gone back? But he couldn't. Let me ask you something, friend. What about you today? The choices you're making. Will you learn from Lot's example? Will you focus on your family? In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity. And tomorrow's Valentine's Day. We're going to let the married couples renew their vows. Before we do that, I want to focus for a few minutes upon our family. Each person, you're a part of a family. I don't know what role you fill. I don't know what spot is yours. I don't know your family situation. But I want you to think about these things in regards to you today. Where you are. First of all. You must be born again. You can't be everything God wants you to be unless you know God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come today if you don't know him. Now, when that's settled, here's what we need to consider. Are you letting selfishness be your guide? Or are you choosing selflessness? That is Christ likeness. Are you surrounding yourself with wicked people? Or are you choosing to surround yourself with people who love and honor the Lord Jesus Christ? Third, instead of skipping out on sharing your faith, are you passing it on? Is your, the, is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ vital? Listen, there's some in this room that used to be faithful to church. And you're hit and miss now. There are some in this room who used to be here every Wednesday night for prayer meeting and Bible study. Yet you never come now. There are some in this room who Christ used to be a living reality in your life, but you're backslidden today. And if you want to stay that way, just do what we talked about. Number four, resist God's working. Resist God's working. When God, the Holy Spirit stirs something up in your heart and life and puts his finger on some area that's not right. Just keep resisting. Just keep resisting. But I beg if you don't. This very moment, if God, the Holy Spirit, speaking to your heart, would you yield? Second, Peter says he afflicted his righteous soul. You come in the church house and you're miserable. You sit through the sermon and you're miserable. If you're a child of God, why don't you confess and forsake that and live 
a life of joy and honor for the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus on your family. It's that important. Learn from Lot's life. Now, one day, Lot was a righteous man. One day we can sit down and talk with Lot. Right now, let's learn from Lot. And let's not repeat his mistakes. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are stirred within us as we look at Lot's life. Now, I pray during this invitation song, if there's anyone here today who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, today will be the day they come to know him. And I pray for believers right this moment. You put your finger on some areas in their life. I pray they yield, they be submissive and come and lay those things on the altar today. Bless this invitation, I pray in the Savior's name. Amen.